Welcome to the New Vision Church podcast. New Vision Church is a diverse, Bible-teaching, Jesus-centered church in San Diego, California, and exists to transform people and their communities by replicating followers of the biblical Jesus. Thanks for joining us today. Now here's this week's sermon. Good morning, good morning. Hey, um... I want to encourage you to pray for Marcos as he's out. He's overseas our pastors for our international ministries as we have over 40 churches in Ethiopia, Uganda. And so we've been building for years out there. And um, um, I know we're talking about Mexico. We're talking about India. A lot of different things are going out. So, but I know he's going out. He's going to be gone from his family for about five or six weeks. So I want to, you put it on your prayer list to keep praying for him as we are going to baptize over 80 uh, commitments already made over there. If you look at the whole ministry over there, there's over 7,000 in the churches that we have over there, over internationally of what God's doing. And so I just want to encourage you to, to keep praying for us and the ministries that are going on um, over there. We, you know, we, we talked about evangelism. We did our E4 purpose. One was evangelism near and far. Well, this is our outreach of what we do all over. I want to encourage you one day you travel with us to go out there. I've been out there many times. Danny, we went out there. It was a blessings. And um, I know that um, we're going to be doing some more trips um, going out there uh, in the coming future. Amen. Hey, guys, we're going to continue our sermon series, uh, Freedom in Christ, uh, this morning as I'm looking at gifts of God. Well, happy Valentine's Day. Right? Uh, this is a day where what, we express our, our love to our significant others, and we often usually do that by, what, giving of gifts? So, uh, husbands, if you haven't done it yet, you're going to be in the doghouse, okay? Like this morning, I, I, I got up early, early in the morning, and I had to run over to, to our house to get my wife a card and, and all those different things this morning. But, um, yeah, but the gift giving is what we do in this season. It's how we express our love. In fact, it's a sign of how we express our love. In fact, in Gary Chapman's book, The Five Love Languages, uh, in that he lists that every one of us have a love language. Every one of us, there's something that speaks to us. And he says there's five things in this book. If you never read this book, I encourage you to read it. There's five things in this book that speak our language. He lists them as this, words of affirmation, physical touch, quality time, acts of service, and lastly, giving, gift giving. In fact, if you look at the word, his word often is referred to as 66 love letters written to us. And in his Bible, what does he do? He speaks our love language. He speaks to us and he ministers to us there. And so as he speaks to us, our love language, he, he, he uses words of affirmation. He, he touches us to heal us. His presence refreshes us. His service empowers us. And his gifts value us. As he speaks our language. This morning, we're going to see how God has set us free with the love language of gift giving. With the love language of gift giving. So, we're continuing this sermon series called Freedom in Christ. And this morning, we'll be looking at freedom, gifts from God. Now, I've been talking about these statements. I want to give you another statement this morning we're going to look at. And this is the statement Am I drawn to messages telling me I haven't done enough or those that remind me? who I am, so I'm free to live out of this life God's given me. Let's pray. Father, in the images, we pray this morning as we begin to enter into the study of your word. I pray this morning that you would speak by your spirit. 
I pray this morning that you would lead us, that you would guide us, that you would direct us. I pray this morning that, Father, you would speak by your spirit. I pray this morning, Lord, as we're talking about freedom, that the words we, we bring forth, Lord, will break some chains this morning, will break some ideologies we have in our heads, some thoughts that may be incorrect, that, Father, you would set the captives free this morning, that we find wherever your spirit is, there's liberty, where, Father, we know that you want us to walk in freedom, you want us to walk in liberty, you want us to walk in the joy of the Lord, we want us to, to walk in intimacy with you, and there are things maybe in our lives that we have allowed to enter in that have gotten away in the, in, in, in the midst of that, have, have affected our intimacy with you. But we're praying that your spirit would break those things now, that we would draw near to you. Your word says if we draw near to you, you'll draw near to us. And so we're asking and believing that this morning in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, um, the first thing we're gonna look at this morning, and I just wanna welcome those that are online this morning, freedom comes by the gift of his grace. First of all, freedom comes by the gift of his grace. Why don't you turn to Ephesians chapter two this morning? We're gonna bounce at three major sections of scriptures. Number one, Ephesians chapter two, eight through 10. I know that God has an economy, right? And right now, I know currently our economy is, is struggling. And as we go around, we're seeing how jobs are, uh, thank you, the jobs are starting to open up. But there was, it's been struggling. It's been a difficult year and a half for a lot of the businesses. But God has an economy. And we're going to look at that economy this morning. I love to play Monopoly with my family. You guys, you guys have played Monopoly with your family, Right? The, the, the purpose of monopoly is to, to monetize wealth and, and property so you can destroy the rest of the family, right? Really, really, that's what it is, right? And the goal, most of us, the goal we think is to go get Park Place and the, boule you know, the boulevard and, and Broadway and like that's the most expensive property, right? And I, we want, I want to buy that property because if I have that property, I can get a lot, a lot of money and welcome to Mr. Contreras' neighborhood, <laughs> Right? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to beat you down, and I'm going to take that money, and I'm going to build that wealth, and I'm going to get those houses, and I'm going to get those apartments, because that's the name of the game. And I could do all that, and my kids and family could be in poverty after I do that. But if I were to take that Monopoly money and go to the bank, they would laugh at me. Because that Monopoly money has no economic value in our system. It's just paper money, right? That's it's, it's all it is. The same with this present world. If I can monetize power, wealth, good works, and the like, but when I try to cash it in before God, it doesn't fit his economy. His, his economy is based on grace. My works apart from Christ has no monetary value in his kingdom. It's like paper money. The currency of the kingdom of God is faith through grace. It's a gift. It's a gift. So this morning, as we look at verses 8 through 10, specifically right now, 8 through 9, we're going to look at the, the gift of faith through grace. Look at 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that is not of yourself. It is a, a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Right now, my wife and I, we've been doing some remodeling in the house, and We've been in our house for like 23 years, and the house was built in 1954, and so a lot of the fixtures are still from that time. And one of those fixtures have been on many of our doors 
are old and been beat up and cracking. And so we decided to replace some doors and we had to take out the doors and we brought pre-hung doors that you would take out the old doors and just slide in the pre-hung doors and you nail them all in and, and, and then you, you couldn't be able to have these doors that open up. But the key to the doors, doors are what accesses for in and out of places. And those doors have hinges. And those hinges, that means by which the door can open and close so you can have access to different rooms and get in different places. Let me tell you, verses eight through 10, these, these verses are the hinges to chapter two. Are the hinges to chapter two. I want you to see that it falls right in the middle of chapter two. Uh, let me explain what I, what I mean for that. Because I believe Ephesians chapter two through eight is the key to our freedom. And everything hinges on these verses to help us understand God's gift of freedom. If you look at Ephesians chapter two, one through seven, it really begins to address our vertical relationship with God. Our vertical relationship with God. What does it tell us in verse one through seven? Verses one through three talks about how we were dead in our trespasses, sin, but he made us alive. Right? In fact, in verse two, it says this, in which you were once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. We were by nature children of wrath, wrath, just as the others. It talks about our old nature. It talks about our BC days. You know what the BC days is? Before Christ, right? It talks about how we live outside of Christ. And he, Paul, the apostle, who's writing to the Ephesian church, is writing this. And says, look at what it is. This is how you live. This is how you acted. This was your priority. But in the midst of that darkness, because that's the backdrop, one through seven is the, is the backdrop of darkness, we find God's mercy. We find guys, look at verse four, it says this, but God, who is what? Rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. The background was darkness, but God's mercy is beginning to shine through the darkness here. We begin to see what is mercy? It's getting what you don't deserve. That is mercy, right? I think I might have told this story before. My daughter, who, who when she was a little girl, wanted cookies, Cassie, and, and we told her don't eat the cookies, but she snuck in the kitchen and grabbed some cookies and ate them, and we walked in, and, and she didn't have any cookies, but she had cookie crumbs all around her mouth, right? And, and I'm like, you got the cookies. No. But we let her get another cookie because that's mercy. Mercy is allowing you to have dessert before dinner. That's That's mercy. That's what mercy is all about. And we see God beginning to reach into the darkness. And first of all, it's by his, his mercy. But then we come to verses 8 and 9 because this is really the gift of, of grace that we, we find here, right? Because faith is, is the door to grace. Faith is the door. Faith is the hinge. Because we're saved by his grace when we believe. Grace, you know, oftentimes we talk about grace and we think grace is what we say over a meal. Somebody say Grace. But it's deeper than that. Grace is much deeper than that. Grace is unmerited faith or something you, you didn't earn. You, you, you can't take credit for it, grace. We are saved by grace through, through faith, he, Paul is writing here. What Paul is saying is that, that his message is, is that grace is enough. Grace is enough, right? His grace is sufficient, Remember when Paul was struggling with the thorn in the flesh and, and he was struggling with some issues in his life and he asked God to remove it three times this thorn and, and God said, no. When you're weak, I'll make you strong because my grace is sufficient. 
It's sufficient for the time. It's sufficient in, in our own walk. We have been blessed with the gift of grace, and it's not cheap grace. It's not cheap grace. But pastor, isn't grace a cop-out? Like, isn't grace something that means we can live any way we want to live, and then we have grace? No, Paul addresses that later in, in Romans. He says, do you, do you keep on sinning that grace may about? God forbid, no. Grace is like our, our life insurance. Grace is our safety net. You know what I mean? You ever want to take risk? If you know a lot of you guys, right? You you might go rock climbing or, or rock rappelling, and they have the belay and it has a rope, right? And you're hanging on there, right? Well, that is your grace. That's your safety net. And so you'll do crazy stuff, realizing that you're secure. There's no fear in that because you're secure, guys. We're free because we have no fear because we're severe, secure because we have grace. Now, grace is not a license for me to live any way I want to live, because some people think that, right? I have life insurance. I mean, I have car insurance for my car, but it doesn't give me the right to go smash up Derby on the road. Okay? That's not what the purpose of that insurance is. It's, it's to cover my mistakes, not to give me permission to live anywhere I want. So grace is provided for us in that reality. But we're also gifted for the purpose of God's kingdom. We're gifted for the purpose of God's kingdom in verse 10. We, in verses 1 through Nine, what do we see? He's dealing with our vertical relationships. We were dead. He made us alive. We have grace by faith, not a works that we should boast. Right? We shouldn't boast in the works. It's a, it's a gift from God. We got it. So God does this transaction that takes place by faith. He, he covers by grace. But there's a purpose in that. There's a purpose in that. See, you have to understand this morning that, that we're not saved by our works, lest anyone should but We can't brag about it, we, 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 but we can brag about the work of Christ. Salvation is a, a gift, not a reward for our works or good deeds. But it has a purpose. The salvation process has a purpose, and that's verse 10 here. For we are his workmanship... Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Hmm. I want you to catch. Here's, here's the hinge, guys. Here's the hinge. I want you to see it. It's moving from our vertical relationship to our horizontal relationship now. It's switching. It's making the, the change. Paul's making the change here, right? We are his workmanship, his workmanship. God, we, we are owned by him. We are his bond servants. We are his, his, his bond slaves. And he is our master. He owns us. But we are his workmanship, his poema. He created his masterpiece. And we've been created in his image and his likeness for his service. And freedom comes in serving the master. It's kind, of, it's kind of hard to understand that. But we find great freedom. Why do you feel good when you help somebody? Why do you feel good when you go bless somebody? Because you're created for that. You're designed for that. That's put into your spiritual DNA to go serve others and give yourself away. That's what we're created for. We've been created to serve, which God had planned from the very beginning. So we, we walk in a purpose here, and we walk in the purpose to serve, and we are created to, to serve here. But God also created us for a purpose to serve people that are different from us. Because when you have that hinge, you have to go continue on, because a lot of us, when we study Ephesians chapter 2, we stop at 10. But there's more verses that follow, from 11 to, to 22. 
which is really talking about how we serve people that are, are not like us, that don't look like us, that don't even act like us, right? We're called to be reconcilers in the, in the kingdom. He would call about breaking down the dividing walls of hostility. The reason the world is broken today and we have racism and we have all the junk that we have out there because we lost our purpose as a church. We, we've lost our identity as a church. He, when you look at chapter 2, he's going to be beginning to deal with two groups of people, which is the Jews and the Gentiles, and they hated each other because of their ethnicity. And God says, no, I'm going to take those two, and I'm going to make them one. I'm going to make them one church. I'm going to make them one family. I'm going to make them brothers and sisters. I'm going to make them and give them an identity. I want you to see that because we've lost that perspective this morning. He created us to have relationships with people not like us. And so friendship promotes freedom. We all brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's what he's doing in verses 11 to 22. See, you've got to understand Ephesians chapter 2, the first three chapters is about theology, and the last three chapters is about application of that theology. And we begin to see that breakdown of moving about here's how you're to think, but now here's how you're to live. And we see that in chapter 2. You'll save for a purpose, and that purpose is to serve, and that's where you're going to find your freedom because grace gives you freedom, and that's the gift. But here's the second thing this morning. Freedom comes by the gift of his righteousness. I want you to turn to Romans chapter 3 now. Freedom comes by the gift of his righteousness. Go back in your Bible, the other direction. Don't go to your right, go to your left. Make a left turn. Go back. Romans chapter 3, we've kind of been journeying through the book of Romans. Last week we looked at Romans chapter 2, and I said the breakdown of, of, of the Romans is based, the first three chapters deals with the sin. That a part of 3, moving forward, we'll deal with the sacrifice. We're going to look at that this morning. The sacrifice this morning. The freedom comes by the gift of his righteousness. Dr. Phil Williams says, the law is the light that reveals how dirty a room is, not the broom that cleans it. Not the broom that cleans it, Right? Before there can be freedom, we first need to know we are bound. <laughs> we first need to know that we're strapped up, we're gaffled up, however you want to put it, right? About a week ago, I had to go visit my dad. And when I had to visit my dad, we realized on his Mercedes that his back tire had a flat. It was in his garage and we had to replace it. So we ended up changing it. And, and the Mercedes is very interesting because they have the tire and you have these five bolts and they're really long bolts. But when you take off that tire and you put on the spare, you actually have to use different bolts that are smaller. So they put the spare in. But when we realized we started putting in the small, we only had four bolts and then we were missing a bolt. So I thought, well, I'm going to take a longer bolt. I'm going to put it in where we're missing it just to, for safety and so I could take it over to get the tire fixed. But what I didn't realize is when I did that and I got into the car and I put it into reverse, it went like half inch and then it stopped. I'm like, what the heck's going on with the car? So I pulled it forward, went back again, and it stopped. And it was, it wouldn't, there was something in the car that was triggering it from moving because this bolt didn't fit that piece. Didn't, it didn't go into the tire and so I pulled it forward, got out of the car. And as soon as I removed the bolt out, that long piece that didn't fit, right, I was able to drive the car. 
I was able to move the car. See, I was bound because, because of this restriction, but when I moved it, I had freedom to drive. I had freedom to move. I had freedom to go places. And God wants to remove some things in order to move us to go forward. So we have to see that we're bound, that we can't move forward. And then he said, let me tell you how you're going to move forward, and it's going to be by his righteousness. See, Jesus came to wage war against the enemy who wanted us to be enslaved. Jesus came to set us free, and it was costly. Jesus came, Jesus came to proclaim the liberty of the captives and open up the prisons of those who are bound, Isaiah 61.1. See, we're moving toward the sacrifice in a minute that's going to set us free, right? So in verse 21 and 22, Romans chapter 3, his righteousness reveals our basic need for freedom. His righteousness reveals our basic need for freedom. Look at 21 and 22. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and all who believe, for there is no difference. Listen, the law sets the standard of righteousness. The law sets the standard of righteousness. God has set a high standard. You got to go back to Exodus chapter 20, 10 commandments, Charlton Heston, all that movies. Okay. The law had set the standard. That standard was set by God and is testified by the law and the prophets in the Old Testament. But now that's changed. But we know that there's a standard that we really cannot achieve. It's such a high standard that we can never achieve that. In fact, if you go back to verse 20 of Romans chapter 3, it says this, for no one could ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. How sinful we are. I, I, I did a lot of um, remodeling in my house over the years, and, and I didn't know a lot about how to do things. So do you ever get those how-to videos? Right now we have YouTube, right? How to, how to YouTube it and, and how to do all those different things. And so you might have to YouTube it. Back, back in the day, I'm a little older, we used to have VHS. And so you could plug it in, watch it, and show you how to do it. And I, I remember when I had to redo my floors when we first moved in a couple 20 years ago in my house, and I wanted to redo my floors, and I watched the video on the how-to step-by-step. Here's the rules. Here's rule number one. Here's number two. Here's step three. And I began to try to follow that steps. And I tried to do the best that I can, and I sanded the floor, and then I put the seal on the floor. But when it's all said and done, I compared that video with my floor and it didn't look the same. <laughs> All that, that standard of what I saw in the video, I didn't quite meet the standard. Because all that standard could show me was where my imperfections were. That's all the law could do for me is show me where my imperfections are. And so when we live under the law, we're going to live in a life that's defeatedism. We're not, not going to live a life in victory because all, all the law is doing is showing us our need for God. And so he's beginning to reveal that. We cannot gain righteousness on our own effort. We cannot live in the do's and the don'ts of life. That's religion. That's religion. In fact, the word religion means to bind. Everybody's religious. What do you mean, Pastor P? I know... Marijuana is legal in our country, at least in the state. And if you smoke marijuana every day, you're religious because the word religious means to do over and over again. You're just a religious dope smoker, but you're religious, okay? God's not calling us to a life of religion. He's calling us to a life of relationship. 
to a life of community, to a life of freedom. He's calling us to, to that life. And now he's going to share how we become righteous. We are made righteous through faith. Because here's the, here's the message of hope. He, God's righteousness is offered to all who believe. To all who believe. No matter your past. That's, that's what it's, it's saying here, right? But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed by being witness of the law. Prop 22. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all, on all who believe, for there is no difference, there's no partiality. It's open to all. His freedom is open to all. His righteousness is open to all. When you come to faith in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, you come to faith, right? Something supernatural happens by faith. God has imputed his righteousness in you. You have been made righteous. You, you, by faith, you've been made righteous, but some of you might be feeling, yeah, I, by faith, I've been made righteous, but I don't feel righteous. So you see that shift that has to happen? In our minds, like, oh, I'm not good enough. Pastor Peter, if you only know my past, if you only know what I'm caught up in, if you only know my mess. No, no, God, by his blood, made you righteous. See, I'm going to tell you something. God's goal is not to change you because by faith he's already changed you. His goal is to mature you. I want you to hear that. Because we already talked about last week that we're new creations of Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. We addressed that issue last week about identity, right? So if I'm already a new creation, what's the next step? Now it's maturity. It's now it's development. We have to begin to grow in the faith. We have to begin to walk in the faith. So maturity is, is what we as believers, when we come to faith, have to begin to, to do in our lives. Because you have possessed something you didn't have before. And you received it by faith. See, in the Old Testament, righteousness came by doing, but in the New Testament, righteousness came by believing. You only have to get to chapter 4, 5, when chapter 4, when it was credited Abraham righteous because he believed. Go to chapter 4, you'll deal with all those issues. Okay, when, when in John chapter 6, the, the feeding of the multitudes, the feeding of the 5,000, he's dealing with the disciples, some are, some are abandoning, him, abandoning him, him, he's leaving. And then the disciples said, what shall we do that we, we may do the works of God? That was the question presented. What, what do I need to do? Isn't that how we live today in the faith? God, what do I need to do to get into heaven? What do I need to do to be accepted? What do I need to do to do this? And this is what Jesus said. This is the work of God that you believe in him who he sent. <laughs> the, the greatest work is to believe and trust. That's the work of God. That's what Jesus said. Believe on me. And so we have the law to show our need of him to be set free. But 23, our righteousness is not enough. Our righteousness, look at 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3, 23, famous verse, right? I love it. All men are guilty. No one is exempt from sin. No one is righteous. We read that in verse 10. Romans 3.10, no one's righteous. No, not one, right? You know what I say? All of us in this, we all busted. We all busted. We got caught, all right? All right? We all missed the mark of perfection. What is the mark of perfection? Christ is the mark of perfection. He was a perfect man, never sinned. He was the mark of perfection. It's easy for us to compare ourselves to others and say we're okay. That's easy. 
But when we compare ourselves to Christ, we fall short. We fall short. We fall short. He's the standard. He's the mark, right? In fact, the word fall short, we all say to fall short of the glory of God, means to lack or to be destitute, morally destitute. No matter how hard you try, you will fall short. You remember when the rich man, the rich young ruler came to Jesus and asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And, and Jesus said, have you obeyed the commands? He goes, I've done it all. I've done it all. And Jesus said, you fall short or you lack one thing. Sell all that you have and come follow me. <laughs> and it says that the rich young ruler went away sad because he had much. He was a slave to his money. What is that one thing that you keep that keeps you from freedom? What is that one area that you fall short? What is that one area? See, people read that, oh, you mean I got to give all my money? That's for that rich young ruler, that was what kept him from following God. I'm not saying that's what's keeping you from following God. It might be something else that keeps you, that one thing that you lack, that one thing error that you fall short. We have to understand that when we fall short, we're separated by sin and shame. Sin is, sin is a barrier for us, right? It puts up a wall between man and God. Sin breaks our, our fellowship with God. The Bible says if you have iniquity in your heart, you will not hear your prayers, Psalm 66. Okay? Sin is, keeps us distance from God, breaks our intimacy with God. So we have to address it. That's why David says, search my heart, O oh God, and find, you find any wicked and weigh me. Purify my heart, O oh God. That's why it says if you confess your sins one to another, he's faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, 9. See, we want to stay in intimacy with God. That's where the freedom is. I talked about confession. I talked about sharing and being authentic with God last week and, and coming before God and, and letting him know those things that we can be right with God and be in right standings with God, not by our works, just by our confession. That's freeing. That's freeing. But you know what sin does? Sin brings shame. Sin brings shame. Shame, the definition of shame is this. Shame is a painful feeling of humiliation or distress caused by the consciousness of wrong or foolish behavior. Some of us have done things in our life we're just ashamed of. We don't want anybody to know our shame. But for the believer, I believe that shame comes from a wrong view of God. From a wrong view of God, right? You may say, your shame says you're a disappointment to God and to others. That's what you might think. Or shame wants you to work harder for acceptance when you don't even believe you deserve it. Right? Your shame will keep you from seeking God. What happened to Adam and Eve in the garden when they fell and they partook of the fruit? They hid because they said their eyes were open and they were ashamed and then they hid. And God had to seek them out because they hid from their shame. And a lot of times some of you are, are running from God because you're ashamed. Adam, where are you? God sought us before we sought him in the midst of our shame. In the midst of our shame. I love the promises, and here's what the freedom promise of Romans 10, 9 and 11. Write that down if you want to know, 9 through 11 here. But if you confess with your mouth what Lord, the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, for with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Here's verse 11, the promise when you do this. For the scripture says... Whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. It's freeing. 
It's freeing. God is going to wipe away the shame. Shame binds us. It holds us. It grips us. But God wants to remove the shame. The shame of sin. The shame of things that hold us and bind us and restricts us. See, you have to understand, when we come to 24 to 26, his righteousness is a gift. His righteousness is a gift. Look at this, 24 to 26. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God sent for his propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because of his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed, to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be the just and the justifier of one who has faith in Jesus. This verse is one of my favorite verses. Because when I, when I came to faith early on, I was about 20 years old, and a lot of you know my story. My story is I lost my mom when I was young, about seven, eight years old, who was killed by my stepdad and killed my brother. And so many, many years, I grew up angry at what had happened. I grew angry at the, my stepdad. I was angry at a lot of things. I grew up angry on those things. And even when I came to faith, I still was dealing with my anger. I was still dealing with, with how I felt, and I had to release it, and I, but they were still very, very painful. And I remember sitting in a bedroom, reading this verse out of Romans, and God began to speak to my heart. And it was very clear. I believe that God still speaks by his spirit. And I think he believes he still speaks to us by his word. Because this very word is the very thing that freed me up. And I remember sitting there, and I was reading and seeing this, and God began to speak to my heart as it relates to my anger and my bitterness toward my stepdad. And, he's, and the words began to speak, and he said, Pete, I want you to understand this, that I know your stepdad took your mom. He murdered your mom. But your hatred is not any different. Your bitterness is not any different than the man that took your mom. See, see, and then I begin to understand the cross, the atonement. We're looking at the propitiation in a minute. I begin to understand. He goes, listen, your anger, your bitterness, your hatred is what put me on the cross. You killed me. And I'm and the Lord speaking to me like that. And it was at that moment, God had a moment with me and he says, now you need to forgive just like I forgave you. And I forgave my stepdad. At that moment, I was set free. At that moment, I was set free from the anger and the bitterness. Guys, if there's things in your heart today that need to be broken, if there's bitterness, resentment, hurt, forgiveness is the key. Because if I don't forgive... I will not be forgiven. If I don't show mercy, he will not show mercy to me. So what do we see here in this passage? Number one, he justifies, number one. We see that in verse 24. He justified. Justification, we're justified by faith or justification by faith through grace. What is that word justification? It means that we're acquitted of all wrong and we'll be made righteous. This is a legal term that has to do with the court of law. Justification solves the problem of man's guilt before the righteous judge, before the righteous judge. The debt of sin was too high to pay and continually gained interest. But we are justified because of his undeserved kindness. In fact, he says we are justified freely, gratuitously, truly free and not discounted. <laughs> it wasn't a discounted act. God fully justified us by faith. Just as we've never sinned, that's what it means, justified. But number two, he redeems us. 
He says we are, we are justified and he redeems us. It's, it's, it's redemption, it's the buyback. God created us in his image and, and we fell short, but he owned us and then we fell away and then he bought us back. He bought back the very thing he already owned. When you go take, my wife and I, we went and we've been saving cans and bottles. It was supposed to be for our daughter, but she didn't take it in. So we said, we're going to take it in. My daughter was back from school vacation. We've been saving for her for school. She, she didn't do it. So we're like, hey, we're going to go take it in. And we took it and we redeemed a bunch of cans and, and, and bottles, plastic bottles. Just saying, we got like 65 bucks. I'm like, I felt like I was a homeless man making a lot of money coming with these bags and bags and, and stuff. But the thing about it is that we redeem back that which we already bought because when you go buy that, you pay the redemption. It's not like I get this money. I, already pay, I want to get him back that which I already had. That which I already spent. God is getting back which he already owns. He redeems us. We're his, right? This is an image of slavery in the market. Like he, he's bought back. We were bound, but he set us free. Redemption slaves solves the problem of many slavery to sin. He redeemed us from sin. He purchased us to take us out of slavery. That's what he did out of our bondage. Then he, verse 25, he propitiates. We get the word propitiation, which is another word for atonement, or he appeases. Through his sacrifice, he appeases the debt. But he, he's talking about this, this sacrifice, this atonement. Back in the Old Testament, they would take sacrifices, whether it's a goat or whatever, and you would put your hand on that goat, on the head of that, and you would confess your sins, and your sins would transfer onto that animal, and then they would sacrifice the animal to cover your sins or to pass over your sins. It's also a reference back to the Passover in the book of Exodus. When the angel of death came, but they took the blood of the lamb and they put it on the doorposts. We know the story. We celebrated Easter and when the angel of death or the judge angel come and you had the, the, you're covered by the blood, the angel of death passes over you. That's why it means by you're covered by the blood of the lamb. He, he, his atonement is sufficient. His sacrifice is sufficient. It appeases for the wages of sin of death, but what? He, the sacrifice appeases that cost. It absorbs that cost is what it means. It passes over. We get the white out of our mistakes. That's what the blood does, right? It, it appeases his anger, God's wrath and his anger. You might have had a parent that was always angry at you, but we don't have an angry God here. That's When we, we're covered, it's, we don't have this God that's just mad and looking down and angry at us. That's not the picture of the Father. It's not the picture of the Father. But not only he propitiates, he pardons, right? He's the one that's just, and he justifies. He, he pardons us. He, he forgives us of our error and our offenses, right? To show his righteousness, to reveal his righteousness, he is just and justifies those who put their faith in Christ. He, he wants to demonstrate his righteousness. Not only does he want to give us his righteousness, he wants to demonstrate his righteousness. He wants to reveal his righteousness. And so he holds our freedom in his hands and he is the righteous judge. And because of what the work of the cross and because of the blood, when we stand before him, we have a pass. We have access. That's what we have. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says this. For he, 
For he made him who knew nor sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Did you, did you catch that? He became sin that we could be made righteous. That was the transaction that took place, the imputation that took place. He imparted to us, he imputed to us righteousness, and then he wanted imparted righteousness. Imputed means he gave us his righteousness, and then imparted means we live righteously. But that has to go first, and that's what he did. That's the gift. His righteousness is a gift. And lastly, this morning, freedom comes by the gift of Christ himself. Galatians. Turn to Galatians 2.20. Now you got to go back to your right. Make a right turn and go a couple books over. Okay, we went from Ephesians, make a left to Romans. Now you may go back to your right and go to Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Talk about the oneness in Christ. The oneness of Christ. Many of you know I don't drink coffee. My wife and I don't uh, drink coffee, but I love hot chocolate. I'm a hot chocolate drinker, right? And I would often go to the coffee shop and, and order a hot chocolate, and they would ask me if I want whipped cream. Obviously, I say yes. <laughs> and upon receiving my hot chocolate with whipped cream, I stir it together, and the two become one, and there's a union that takes place. The blackness of the hot chocolate and the whiteness of the cream are now integrated, and the hot chocolate becomes brown. I love brown. <laughs> because of its union. Because of its union. Once these two elements are mixed, you can no longer separate them. It would be impossible. When we come to Christ by grace through faith, we enter into an indissolvable union with him, and what happens to Christ happens to us. Christ died, we died. Christ rose, we rose. Christ ascended, we ascend with him. In fact, Ephesians 2.6 says, we already sit in the heavenlies. In Galatians 2.20, it says this, I have been crucified with Christ. He is no longer, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me and the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He gave himself for me, right? What's the context here? Got to have context, right? This book moves us from legalism to liberation. That's what it does. It's a book about freedom. Go back and read it. It's all about freedom, right? You know what the gift is here? The gift is Christ himself. The gift is Christ in you. That's, that's the gift, right? Here's this envelope, guys. This is me. This is me. And by faith, when I receive him, Christ comes inside me. That's Christ in me. That, that's the picture he's, he's giving here. This is the gift, right? This is our, our new idea. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That's the gift. Now, again, what's the context here? Remember, the Gentiles have come to faith, right? But what does the Jews want? The Jews want the Gentiles to, to be circumcised. They want them to become Jews before they could become Christians, right? Before they could come to Christ. They're making them jump through these hoops to be saved. And Paul refuted that teaching because he says you are saved by faith through grace, not of works of your own. Peter was confronted by Paul because he began to put the Jewish identity on the Gentile people. You only have to read verses 11 through 16 in Galatians chapter 2. Let me, I'm going to get a little deeper here, okay? Our ethnic identities are a part of God's creation, we are to acknowledge and celebrate our diversity because we are created in the image and his image and likeness. And we have to be careful we don't worship our ethnic identity. 
The problem comes with our ethnic identities is we take precedent over our identity in Christ. That is, that's what Peter did, and Paul had to confront him on his mistake. He had to confront him on his mistake. I have been crucified with Christ, right? I put to death any identity that is independent of Christ. We say, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. He's our Father. Look at the diversity in this room. He is our Father, and we are brothers and sisters. We are siblings together. We are one. Our identity is this family. We have to hold on to that. But we in our own nature want to divide us. Be careful of the division. Be careful of the lie. We, see, the thing about this family I love is we get to celebrate our diversity. We rejoice in our identity of how God created us. But God is ultimately our identity. In him. But oftentimes our identity is this, oh, I haven't done enough. That's a false premise. We, we have to understand the substitutionary life of Christ is Christ working in us. Christ has begun a great work in you and he will be faithful to complete it in you. Listen, this flesh, this tent, this body, we live with the reality that God is doing a good work in us already, Right? Paul's reminding us that we are free and called to live out the life God has purposed for us. Each of us have a purpose. You, you have a calling in your life. We talked about that in Ephesians chapter 2. And we live by faith. We live in a way, trusting God in all that I do and all that you do, for we walk by faith and not by sight. We put our confidence in him and we are the light in this dark world. So here's the truth, guys. You have as much God as you are going to get. He lives in you. You are in him. How much closer do you want than that? He's already in you. You got everything. We studied 2 Peter. You've been given everything you need for godliness. You've been set free. And this gift of Christ in us, the gift of love empowers me to, to live, empowers us to live by faith, motivated by love. That's freeing. We serve, we honor because of love. This new revelation takes the pressure off of us, guys. It, it takes the pressure off. We're only conduits of his love. That's all we are. We work at the Spirit because Christ lives in us. For, for God is love, and, and love should ooze out of us. It should ooze out of us. The freedom comes in knowing that Christ is in me, working things out. And so I no longer have to live for myself, but I, I love but I love for the one, for the one, I love to serve the one who loved me. That's Christ. And so Christ's love carries me along. For the love of God compels me. I leave with this illustration. You ever traveled and gotten to the airport and you got to catch a connecting flight and you get off and you could walk there? Or you can get those moving trams, walk trams. You know what I'm talking about? Now, one, I can say, well, I don't need the tram. I'm, I'm pretty good. I'm going to do this my own way. I can walk. And it'll take me longer. But if I get on that tram that's moving, I'm working. I'm still walking, but it's moving me faster, and the, the load is lighter. So I can walk in the flesh of my own strength, or I can make the load a little lighter because God's carrying me along as I move forward. 
Okay, see, that's the work of the Spirit. That's the, the freedom of Christ. That's what God's doing us when Christ is in us. He's carrying us along by his love so we can get to the destination of purpose that God has called us to be. And so I close with this as we're going to break up communion. See, the love in Christ frees us. That's the greatest gift of freedom. So I remind you with this as we talk about God's gifts. Freedom comes by the gift of his grace. Freedom comes by the gift of his righteousness. And freedom comes by the gift of Christ himself. That's where we find our freedom. Amen? Father, heaven, we thank you, Lord, for this morning. We thank you for your love and blessings. We thank you for your goodness and mercy and grace. And I pray for your people this morning. Lord, I want them to understand their freedoms in you. I want them to take pleasure in you. I don't want them to... You said your commands are not burdensome. They're not heavy. When we operate out of love, then the work that you call us to do just carries us along. As we celebrate Valentine's Day, our love is what motivates me to, to go the extra mile to do something for my wife. It's my love that carries me along. I didn't get up and say, oh, i got to get my wife a gift. No, I get to get my wife a gift. Because love carries that. Father, our freedom comes when we fall in love with you. And when you gifted us with your grace and your righteousness and yourself living in us. I pray, Lord, that you break whatever chains this morning. I pray you remove the, the false ideologies that we've, we've heard from different theologies and teachings that, Father, I'm not of you. Free your people. Moses, you came to set the captives free. That this, your people were bondage in Egypt, Lord, but you send a deliverer. Your, our deliverer is Christ himself even today that has delivered us from the bondage of false understanding of the freedom we have in you. Renew our minds and renew our hearts this morning. We thank you, we praise you, we honor you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Thanks again for joining us. Contact us or learn more at our website, newvision.city. See you next time.